Georgia. You know how far that is from here? That's a long way from here. And so I, as a dad, I'm like, ah, this is, uh, you know, that kind of thing. And, and um, just, just not worried about it. Because, you know, th- this is the thing. I want my kids to be in the middle of God's will. I don't care where that is. If one of my kids told me tomorrow they're you know, going to be missionaries in China, okay, I wouldn't like the distance, but I want them to do what God's called them to do, right? And uh, so then we were talking with uh, Jeff and, and Yoli the other day, and Jeff's brother-in-law, his sister's husband, is on staff at that church. We didn't know that. And then Linda is going this week. She's got conferences in, in Missouri um, for church ministries and all that kind of stuff. And so my wife is the, uh, the district director for Colorado and Utah for women's ministries within our fellowship. And so she teaches uh, other directors, uh, districts, when they get a new director, a women's director, she teaches them. She's a mentor uh, for the national office for district directors. And she said, oh, by the way, I forgot to tell you this. She was telling me this as she was leaving a couple of days ago. She said she told me she was leaving for like two or three weeks, but I don't remember that conversation. But <laughs> Saturday morning, she's like, okay, now I'm packing my bags. I'm like, for where are you packing it? So... But she said, by the way, the district director that I'm training and teaching right now is the women's director of Georgia. And uh, so this whole year, I'm going to be directly connected with the women's director in Georgia. And uh, just as a dad, that's a, the whole thing, all of this was, was God just saying, look, I got Emily. Don't worry about her. She's going to be okay. I'm like, are you sure? Because I don't <laughs> But uh, that's just a thing there. So um, this is the last, t- today is the last uh, week of this series the filter series, and then next week I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump into another series. And this, this series is actually, um, I've been studying on quite a long time, like months and months and months about this. Not exactly sure <clears throat> exactly how to put this into a series and everything, but I'm going to give you a little bit of a, a, a prequel here to it. But um, I've I really been looking at the idea, you know, during, between World War I and World War II, and then coming out of World War II, we saw a lot of psychologists and psychiatrists that were really studying what's called um, um, mass psychosis and then also concepts of, of what is termed mass hypnosis, which is how entire people groups can be caught up uh, like, like the Nazis in Germany. The entire country of Germany got caught up in it's okay to murder people for their ethnicity and, and tried to exterminate an entire um, people group, the Jews. And so there was a bunch of studies done about that, and then there were studies also done um, as Marx came into to, uh, Russia, and then as Lenin came into Russia, um, studies done on how that was happening. It was a little different, but how it was happening in Russia. And some people have studied this at different times over the years, um, how um, like entire countries in Africa can go and try to wipe out an entire other countries in Africa. And so you got this, why, why would they all believe this is okay? That's kind of part of the deal. And we're actually starting to see a resurgence of some of these studies now, is why, why is mass psychosis a thing? Why can entire people groups, and the reason the studies are popping up now, is how can the entire world get caught up in this crazy lie that became what we know as the pandemic and everything else? How does the entire planet get caught up in this? To the point where now, some, now people are starting to get away from it, right? Entire countries are now saying England, Ireland, uh, Switzerland, many, many countries are now saying forget, 
Forget uh, vaccine mandates, forget masks, forget uh, passport, vaccine passports. I'll just, this is stupid. We recognize that the, it's done, it's over, let's move on. But here's the thing, for two years we did this. And Israel, one of the most vaccinated countries, well, not one of the most, the most vaccinated country, to the point of 98, 99% of the people in Israel have been vaccinated, and their COVID rates are higher than any country statistically on the planet right now. So, so how, how does this happen? How can we buy into this as a people? And so a lot of studies are being done. Now, I'm not, I'm not going to be doing this about the vaccine. I'm going to be doing it about a much bigger picture than that, which is the scripture that says in the last days, um, people will believe a lie. And what that means, because guys, I really believe, and still, and you'll see this over the next few weeks, that Satan is setting us up as a people, people across the planet, he is setting us up to buy into and to, to be manipulated and controlled, because why? He's got some things coming down the pipe. He's got a one-world government. He's got a one-world currency. He's got a one-world religion. All of this stuff is coming down the pipe. Scripture is very clear about it. And for the first time in world history, we're seeing the development of the foundation of that. And so how, how, what does that look like? And so that's the next few weeks coming up. But with all of that, I want to I finish out this filter series with the context of community, because I really believe... This, is, this has been one of the biggest things that, that has been uh, strained and stressed in our country, around the world too, but specifically in America. We haven't ever seen this in America exactly like this, where we see um, the idea of what it is to, uh, to get together with other Christians and the concept of community and going to church. Something simple like going to church in the last two years has completely changed the mindset. Um, that that the, the government basically just said, Stop going to church, and we all said, okay. I, I, don't, I really don't understand that. And so for some of you that are newer around here, so that you know some of uh, how, how strongly I believe some of this stuff, <clears throat> we never stopped having church here. We never closed the doors and never masked, never distanced, never did anything. And I know churches right now that are still, still distancing. You know, they were telling me that District 20 right now, the school system, you have to wear a mask in the classroom, but you don't have to wear a mask in the hall. <laughs> District 20 students, I, am, is that right? You, you do have to on the buses? What? You're telling me those students are not connecting with each other in the lockers, but they are in the, in the rooms. <laughs> Guys, this is so... Ignorantly bizarre. And so th this is what happened. Obviously, we've started to see. And, and by the way, I don't think this is about a vaccine. Or else, as I said from the beginning, it is not even human. It's not even government. This is Satan trying to destroy people and relationships. He wants to divide, separate, put distance in between us. He's been trying to do that forever. He is trying to hurt. He's trying to hurt your marriages. He wants to separate your marriages. He wants to separate your family. He wants children to be at odds with adults and adults with children. He wants all of this. He wants This is the thing. Is our country had been doing so much better and so much better um, coming from um, the, the slavery and to... Uh, to um, the 60s, and then we'd gotten better. And then the last five to 10 years, we have regressed so badly as a country. 
into not trusting each other, hating people, at odds with each other. Um, um, uh, you know, some of the stuff with the, some of the biggest prejudices in our countries are against Asians and, and uh, Jews. And now the Asians are saying, we never get any credit. Nobody notices that we're being prejudiced against. Why? Because we have set so much hate and division with each other. And this is, this is intentional by Satan. Now, he's obviously using our government and, and leadership through our government. Guys, at the end of the day, this is spiritual more than it's governmental. The, the reason I say that is because if you think you can just vote a few different people in and everything's going to be okay, you, you're confused. Okay. Now, I do believe, obviously, going to the polls, voting, getting the right people in the position, getting moral conservatives, people that, that believe in morality, that believe against abortion, these kind of things, getting those people in office so they can set the moral tone for the direction that we need to go. But at the end of the day, our country is going to have to have a sovereign move of God to change hearts, hearts, minds of individuals, or this is a, this is, this is a waste for us even to discuss. And so in looking at that, the three things that, I, that I'm praying about that I'm really believing that God has put on my heart for us this year, the first thing is that God is going to set us on a path of health and wholeness. That, that you need health, and I'm not talking physical, although that's obviously always part of our context here. We believe in healing. But I'm saying mental, emotional, spiritual, relational health. Guys, some of your marriages, you need to get before God and, and bow that marriage before God and say, God, you've got to be in control of this. We're hurting, we're struggling, we're not doing what we need to be doing, we're at odds with each other. God, we surrender this marriage to you. Until you do that, your marriage is always going to have problems. Submit it to God. Relationships, family relationships, children relationships, submit that to God. Be the godly family that God has designed you to do. Praying together, reading the Bible together, really seeking God together as, as, um, as, a, as a family unit together. That we need wholeness within our, in our workplaces. We need wholeness and healthiness within our, our community relationships. And I believe that God is going to do that, but it has to take submission from us. Not, don't expect submission from anybody else in this arena. Same way with marriage. Don't fix your marriage by, by expecting the other person to, to fix it. I mean, to be, do better, whatever. Treat you better, submit or what. You, you do that. You take ownership. You submit to God and let God take care of them. But when you surrender and submit to God, it's amazing what God does with all the people around you. The second thing is that, <clears throat> that I, I really, we need as a church, I've been praying about this, and I believe that God has put this into my spirit, that he is going to empower us with the Holy Spirit. He's going to fill you with the Holy Spirit in ways that you didn't know was possible. This year, he's going to give you boldness. He's going to give you compassion for the lost. He's going to show you his word in ways that you haven't seen, all kinds of things. He's going to empower you with the Holy Spirit. Um, then the third one is the fact that, that um, he's going to give you opportunity to minister to people in a, in a new way. He's going to give you opportunity to minister to people and, 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 a, and accomplish ministry, praying for people, witnessing to people, things like that. Now, now with that being said, how do, Satan doesn't want that to happen, so he's going to try to stop it. He's going to try to hinder that. And all, the things I've been talking about over the last few weeks, um, pride, he's going to use pride against yourself, your pride against you. He's going to use unforgiveness, your unforgiveness against you. He's going to do all these different kind of things. Now, this always starts with how do I look at things? The way you serve Jesus is completely dependent upon how you see him, 
how you understand him. You, there's, none of us in this building see Jesus completely as he is. He's too big for that. He's, he explains that to us. But you, you see and understand Jesus and the things that you see and understand about him, or maybe the things that you have misunderstood about him, will guide and determine how you serve him or whether you serve him at all. And so your, your worldview, the filters that you have in life, all the things that make you you, all the stuff that is your past, good and bad, that, that has brought you to this moment, that determines how information is disseminated into your existence. How you see things. When somebody says a sentence, one person can say a sentence in this room and we'll have 10 ideas of what that means. Okay? Because why? We have different ways of perceiving that information, understanding it, background, all kinds of stuff. And so the way you understand Jesus, your filters, your, your existence, determines how you serve him. That's why we always should be saying, Jesus, open my eyes and let me see a little bit clearly who you are. Let me understand better who you are. Not how I've been told, but who, how your word says you are. What your word says, that's who you are and that's who, I want, that's who I want to serve. That's how I understand that. And so in looking at this in community, who we are as a body, how, how we look at church, the things of church... Um, getting together with other believers, accountability relationships, mentoring relationships, prayer groups, all kinds of stuff. How you perceive those things will determine how, how, whether or not you engage, how you engage, all this other kind of stuff. Years ago, 30 years ago, when I first got in ministry as a youth pastor, I really thought, and I, I say this a little jokingly, but this really was my, my, my mindset, my worldview. I really didn't think I needed other people. I, I've always kind of been... Um, uh, well, very individualistic, and, and uh, I didn't think I needed other people. I, I mean, I, I didn't like not, di I didn't dislike everybody else for the most part, and I didn't not want people in my world, but I didn't think I needed them. I could do this by myself. I could, I could serve Jesus by myself. And when I got hired as a youth pastor, I was 20 years old, I got hired as a youth pastor, I'm thinking, I'm going to that church to be a blessing to that church, to be a a minister in that church, I never thought one time that that church was going to be a blessing back to me, that somehow there was going to be this, this um, uh, back and forth type of relationship kind of thing. I really thought that I was like, like a uh, superstar coming in, they had drafted me, and I'm coming in to do the stuff, right? Which is interesting because I had gone to one-year Bible college, failed out of that, I had never really been involved in a, in a legitimate youth group as growing up, one kind of sort of with a part-time youth pastor, and, and I didn't really know the Bible. I'd never read it through. I didn't know, but I thought somehow I was the guy that was going to come and fix this and make church what it should be for all these people. And, and over time, I began to realize, first, I didn't know anything. That became very, very clear to me very quickly. The second thing is, is I desperately needed people. Now, it took me a few years to really get that solidly in my mind and my spirit, but that I desperately needed people. That you cannot, think about this, you cannot be the body of Christ unless there's more than you, right? Jesus even says things like, this is my paraphrase, but he even says things like, don't be a rogue toe and take off and be your own toe out there by yourself. Uh, you need the rest of the body to be a, a legitimate toe right? Now, we know that stuff. We know it verbally. But what about in our spirit? What about in our heart? How important is this? This is one of the things that really bothered me at the very beginning. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put categories here, and I'm going to say, <clears throat> I know that almost no churches just kept having church like us. I know that. 
So I'm not going to go that far. But to say churches that started again within three to six months, I, I kind of get that because they quickly went, whoops, wait a second. Something's not right, okay? But there are still churches today that are still not having church. This is two years later. There are still churches today that only allow a certain amount of people to come to the building because of space and masking and distancing and everything else. How would you like to be the person that finally one day you wake up and you're like, you know what? I think I need Jesus. I haven't been serving Jesus. And you try to go to the church and they say, I'm sorry, we already have our quota. I I just don't get this kind of stuff. But, But kind of putting the first three to six month group all in one category... The thing that bothered me the most over these last two years is how easily churches thought coming to church is not that big of a deal. In fact, let's just have church online because that's as good. Guys, there's a problem with that thinking. Having church online is not getting together. It's not community. And this is one of the big lies that have been told about to our, to specifically to our younger generation right now, is that online is community. It is connection, but it's not real community. You're connecting mentally and potentially with, with um, <clears throat> different similarities and things like that, but it's not community. It's not the same thing. And Jesus was very clear about this and has been very clear about this all through history to the point where there are countries where people are not allowed to have church. I've been in these countries where you get together and you have church, but you can't sing out loud because the government will arrest you. And so everybody sits there and sings by mouthing, no noise. I've been there and they clap like this. Because if they sing out loud, a neighbor will hear, turn them into the government, and they will go to jail because they serve Jesus. But here's the thing. They still get together. It's necessary. You need me, and I need you. And and we've got to see the the importance of that. Satan did a little, I think it was uh, Dave Reaver that was visiting with us that said this that Satan poked the underbelly of the church and he found it to be very soft. I thought that was a pretty profound statement. He said, don't have church. And we all said, okay. And we stopped having church. First thing here, number one, community starts with Jesus. John chapter one, verse 14. So the word, Jesus, the logos, the transcendent word, the word that, that is above everything. In fact, um, I had this conversation with somebody this last week about this, but uh, the, the idea of Jesus being the Son of God. Now, now, don't misunderstand what I'm saying here. Jesus is the Son of God. He'll always be the Son of God. But I really believe in the big grand scheme of things that Jesus is the Word. That's really His name. The Son of God is something temporary that we can understand Him better, that, he is, that, that God sent Him to this earth to die. And so the understanding of authority and relationship and submission and all this stuff, God takes the name God the Father, Jesus takes the name the Son, and the Holy Spirit takes the name the Spirit, so we understand how we're supposed to interact with them. But I believe when we step into eternity, we're not going to see Jesus as the Son, we're going to see Him as the Word. 
the transcendent word, the one that spoke creation into existence. God's the authority that established it. And Jesus speaks it into existence. And the Holy Spirit is the power that makes it happen. And that's consistent all through the Old Testament, by the way. Look, anytime something happens, you'll see that dynamic going on. And this word, this, this transcendent one, the majestic one, he takes residence on this earth in a tiny, small human body. He became human and he made his home among us. And he was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. So when people say to me, well, do I have to go to church to get to heaven? Did you miss what Jesus did? He came to the earth. He didn't have to do that. He came all the way to this earth, put on human flesh, just so he could hang out with other people, not even other Christians. They weren't that yet. And he came to hang out with people. The people that he knew was going to hang him on a cross. He came to hang out with them. And we like put that into this category. Where there's this other group of people that, that you know, put Jesus on the cross, whatever. Jesus rode in on a donkey while they were worshiping and, and singing to another thing just the week before. These were the same people. And he hung out with them. He did things with them. I, I've often wondered this. Adam and Eve sin, and, and, it, and, it, and that sin puts a barrier between them and God. Not because God wants to, but because they built this wall of, of self. They built this wall of selfishness and sin that was, that was um, handed them by Satan. And they chose that over God. So there's this separation between them and God the Father. There's this wall. And, and God had been hanging out with them every day. It says that he came to, to, the, to walk with them in the cool of the evening as he did. Right? I wondered that the days approaching Jesus coming to this earth and putting on human flesh, did he get a little excited by that? Was he looking forward to being with people again? To hanging out? It wasn't the same as the garden. It's not exactly the same. There's still sin. There's still separation. And most people wouldn't even know who he was. Even his own disciples didn't get it until he like resurrected and walked through a wall and they're like, oh, that's what you meant. That kind of thing, right? But don't you think he was a little excited about this? I, I think about this. I love, I love my kids so much. I love my grandkids way even more. And, <clears throat> and I was thinking about this at Christmas. All three of my kids, uh, boys, two spouses were there. And my grandkids and my, and my grandson, he's a year and a half, and, um, and he, he'd be playing, doing something, and he'd look over at me and I'd say, what's up, Bubby? And he'd just stop what he's doing and run over to me and just hug me every time. And I was like, this is what I was created for. <laughs> but I've thought about this so many times. Jesus is just walking along with the disciples, all these 17, 18-year-old, 19-year-old boys. You know, the idea that they were all grown men, it doesn't work historically. It doesn't work actually mathematically, Okay. They didn't, they didn't write the, the books later when they were 152, okay? So, so there's these younger men. He's saying, well, don't you think that Jesus every now and then, I don't know if he did, maybe he did, but every now and then he just wanted to grab them and just squeeze them because he had missed them. He had missed them for thousands of years, even before they were born. He missed them. And I really think that there is some of that going on with us and Jesus, that he really enjoys just being with us. He enjoys hanging out with us. He enjoys getting to know us. And we think we have to leave, the, you know, this kind of prayer thinking is these um, structured 
soliloquies that we give to God instead of saying, Jesus, I, I'm, I need to talk to you for a minute. And this is what I'm thinking about. This is what I'm, I'm, I'm struggling with this. I'm processing this. What, what about this, Lord? I need some strength. I need some encouragement. Um, God, how about the Super Bowl? I don't know. Whatever. I don't, I don't know if Jesus cares about the Super Bowl. I don't so much. But, but don't you think he cares about what you care about? So don't you think talking to him is more what he wants from us than sometimes this, this religious mentality that we force God into when we force ourselves into? Jesus came to this earth and took on flesh because he loves us and he has a plan for us and he believes in us. He wouldn't have come to this earth unless he believed in us. I've, I've said this for years. I really believe that every time a baby is born, that is proof that God still has enough confidence and trust in us for the end. I just, I believe that. First Peter chapter one, through Christ, you have come to trust in God and you have placed your faith and hope in God because he raised Christ from the dead and gave him great glory. Now look at this. You were cleansed from your sins when you obeyed the truth. So now since you were cleansed from your sins, now you must what, tell other people about their sins? No, it says, so now you must show sincere love to each other as brothers and sisters. Love each other deeply with all your heart. When you, when you really love somebody and you really care about they know it. Even if they don't necessarily like you. Or you them. You say, well, you can't love them if you don't like them. You can. Let me, let me just take a poll real quick. How many of you in here... Don't like somebody, but you love them. You say, well, it's not possible. Guys, it is. This is the thing. Jesus, um, God himself, all through the Old Testament, says, I am so frustrated with these people. I wish I wouldn't even have made them. And then he does another miracle of grace for them. And then he rescues them again. And he does it. Why? Because his love is transcendent. Sometimes he gets frustrated with us and irritated with us. He gets angry with us because we rebel against him. We fight against his plan. We, we do what we want to do instead of what he wants us to do. But his love, his transcendent love, keeps the plan moving forward. His love brought us to the cross, right? Brings Jesus there. His love proves that, that there is a plan for us. Now, he says, since you were cleansed from your sins, you must show sincere love to each other as brothers and sisters. Love each other deeply with all your heart. So I get the question every now and then, or, I, or a statement or whatever. I mean, I've just heard this so many times. This is, this is my 31st year of ministry. I've heard this so many times I can't even count. Well, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. I think you don't understand anything about Jesus or the church to make that statement. What they mean when they say that is, you don't have to go to a building where people gather to be a Christian. That's what they're saying. But here's the thing. Jesus actually came and put on some of the human flesh that you and I are that should be getting together. And then he says that the, that the church is the body of Christ, and he's the head. So how does the body not operate together and still be the body? He, he, he goes all these examples through Scripture that, that getting together with each other is necessary. And that's the part that years ago I didn't understand. And I, and I came to understand it. And to me, it's like, it's like extremely important now. 
is that, the, that getting together with other Christians is necessary. It's not just, oh, it's a good idea. It is necessary. Guys, all the statistics that came from the lockdowns and the isolation and everything, that society, specifically the, the medical uh, governmental heads, are just ignoring. And we just keep doing the lockdown, keep doing lockdown mentalities, and all this stuff. You realize that child abuse went up over a thousand percent during the lockdowns. Which, which, would, which was worse, me getting sick or that? Think about this. Uh, domestic violence went up over 1,500%. Do you realize the number that that is? Over 1,500% domestic violence went up, specifically just here in 2020. There's something about getting together with, with society in a general sense that is important, and then specifically with the church that is necessary and vital. I need you, and you need me. We need each other, and we need each other desperately. This is a Jesus thing. He established it. We didn't establish it. Jesus established it. <clears throat> I've always thought about this, too, because I, I hear this. I've heard this forever. I've heard this when I was a kid. I've heard this forever in church, in church thinking. Some, some basic things. I'll go over a few of them. One is, is I, don't, I don't go to church because it's full of hypocrites. Okay? Let, let me let you in on a little secret. You're a hypocrite. I'm a hypocrite. In fact, I've said this for years. I believe that the pastor actually has to practice being a hypocrite. Because every single week, you walk in and you say, how are you doing? Now, what is my answer if you say, how are you doing? I am dandy. You know what that means? Nothing. It doesn't mean anything. It's just an answer to something. But, but you walk in and I'm supposed to be happy and smiling that you're here and that we're about to have church. Do you know sometimes I don't want to come to church? Now, I'll be honest with you. Most of the time, I, I really do. I love church, and I love preaching. I don't, want to, I don't want to do other things, like care. But I love to come to church. Okay? I really do like to come to church. But here's the thing. If I don't want to come to church, I don't just get to sleep in. I'm here both services every week. I'm committed. But here's the thing, that's, that's hypocritical. When somebody says to us, how are you doing? You say, good. When you're not, that's being a hypocrite. Okay? We're all hypocrites. Human beings are hypocrites. And Paul said that he is the chief of the hypocrites. He said, I'm more hypocritical than anybody else. He said, every time I try to do the very right thing, I do the wrong thing. You know what that's called? Hypocrite. But here's the thing. This is what makes the body of Christ amazing, is we're all hypocrites, but we can still get along, we can still interact, we can still try to pursue Jesus and be less of a hypocrite tomorrow than we are today. Try to be a little closer to Jesus, a little more like him, a little bit less like me. We have that opportunity, we have that benefit. And I've never heard anybody ever say, well, I don't go to Walmart because it's full of hypocrites. I have heard people say, I don't go to Walmart because people dress weird at Walmart. I have seen that. But, but not, because, not because it's full of hypocrites, because why? We need something at Walmart, and we're willing to deal with the hypocrites because we need something at Walmart. 
Why do we not think about the church like that? I've got, I've got a friend of mine that's a pastor that, that um, preached a message. In fact, he's the pastor of the church I used to pastor. Good friend. He grew up in that church. And he preached a message about uh, community. And he said, I think this was a great illustration. He said, um, he said he has a fish tank at home and none of the fish get along. They all stay away from each other. They don't interact. They don't do anything. They're all different kinds of fish. They stay away from each other. He said, except one time a day. I mean, put the food in. He said, they all come and they, they get fed, and they all go back to their respective corners. And here's the thing with that. I think the church believes that that is okay. And here's another deception is we think we're actually getting fed with that mentality. Because you come in here, the most amazing sermon you've ever heard, and then you go back home. But the problem with that is some of the stuff that is vitally important for you is that you interact with somebody else in this room. And then maybe you get together for dinner, or maybe you go to coffee, or you develop a relationship, and then it becomes an accountability relationship, and then you're praying together for each other and texting each other during the week, prayer requests and stuff. That is getting fed. The sermon is part of the theology that helps us to establish some of that stuff. But just gathering together every now and then so we can hear a sermon. That's why, by the way, that's why the church has started to buy into, and over the last two years bought into greatly, that I can sit at home and watch church and get everything I need. Because we have built a paradigm of church thinking that is, that is um, spectator rather than body, participatory, interacting and intertwined with each other. That we're directly connected with each other. That's not the way we think in the church. We don't think about ministering to other people. We think about coming and watching a guy minister to us. That's, that's not biblical. Spectator church is not biblical. It's community. It's connection. We've got to be ministering to each other. We've got to be developing each other. I've said for years, and I know people think this is a joke when I say this, it's not. I really believe that one of the jobs that your spouse has in your marriage is to be sandpaper with you. And somebody's like, oh, hmm, that's blessed me, yeah. <laughs> but here's the thing. If you think as the spouse, if you think your job is to be sandpaper, you've already misunderstood Ephesians 5. You've lost it, and you're not going to be healthy in that. But if you are submitted to the other person and they're submitted to you, you will naturally be sandpapered to each other, rubbing off the rough edges that make you unique to you. And as a spouse, they bring that to the table automatically. That's the scripture that says iron sharpens iron. That, that some of what we do within the body of Christ is we, we uh, sandpaper each other. We chip off the edges. We sharpen each other. Sometimes that's passive. Sometimes it's active. And it's amazing how easily, how quickly we can get upset over that. Well, so-and-so said this. Why did they say that? Ask that. Now, they may be totally wrong. Lynn and I have discussed this many times. If somebody comes and gives me critique or gives her critique, we'll talk about it. Her and I will. And we'll discuss whether or not we think that's legitimate and we should deal with it or we should move on. We don't do that by ourselves because you, you will have a tendency to edge it your way, right? We all do that. Spin it, take the edge off, whatever. And so, so we'll come together, and, and usually it's, it's me coming to her. She doesn't get near as much critique as I do. And she should get more, by the way. I'm just saying. <laughs> but uh, I'll come to her and say, hey, so-and-so said this about me. And she'll say, huh. And that's my cue. Maybe I should process this a little bit. And if she doesn't immediately go, oh, that's silly. And she'll go, 
what now exactly how did they say it? That's interesting. <laughs> like, where are you going with this, lady? You know. <clears throat> because we're, this is part of what we're supposed to do with this. So hypocrites, here's another one. I don't go to church because there's cliques in the church. <sighs> yeah, Jesus started that. You know he did, right? Jesus had how many disciples? But he had a different group that was smaller. What was it? Peter, James, John. That was his clique. And he was very close to them. He took them up on the Mount of Transfiguration. He didn't take the entire 12. Plus there was another group that was 70 plus. And he ministered in different ways to each of those different groups. And he interacted with them differently. Guys, we believe strongly in cliques at Church of Burgate. We call them, we call them life groups. Right? You need some cliques. You need three or four people in your life that you can say anything to and they can say anything to you. That's not the larger group. That's not the larger group. If we just had you stand up right now, just, just somebody, just stand up and we'll all take time critiquing your life. You will never go to a church again in your lifetime. But if you've got some people you really trust and you've got some interaction, you can pray with them, you can talk with them. And by the way, you desperately need this. I say this regularly and I still don't think we're getting there like we need to be. As you need this. You need some people in your world. If you're married, primarily it's your spouse. And let's start with that because most spouses do not have the freedom to really speak truth into their spouse's life. Let's own that. The second thing is, is you need, of same gender, you need two or three people that, is, that can speak into you. Guys, you need some guys that can really say, wait a second, I, I don't think that's legit. You said this the other day, and I, I don't think that's, that's not healthy. Um, I saw you, you were kind of mean to your wife. You need to, you need to fix that. Some things that not, we're not going to let just anybody say to us. We need that, we need that three we need that 12. We need some people around us that are, that are that something we strongly, strongly push here with all of our staff and our department heads is we push team. You, 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 can't, you can't run a ministry or a department or something like that as a lone ranger. You have to have team. You have to have people that come alongside of you and you do this together and you develop this together and you come up with the ideas together and you pray. And it's not just one person's idea. We believe strongly about this as a congregational church. Our board members are voted in. I don't choose board members. Okay? And there's been times over the years when people are being nominated. I'm like, I don't know. And then they get voted in as a board member. I'm thinking, oh, this is not going to be great. And here's something that is, the Holy Spirit has always amazed me with this. They always turn out amazing. They don't necessarily turn out agreeing with me on everything. And that's probably where my hesitation was. Maybe. But they turn out to be amazing board members because why? We believe in team around here. We believe in the doing this together. Because you need community. You need community. I need you. You need me. We've got to do this together. Second thing, community is miraculous. Acts 4, verse 29. And now, O Lord, hear their threats. This is after James and John had been put in prison for preaching. Hear their threats and give us, your servants, great boldness in preaching your word. I always, I always usually stop at verse 32 here. But he says, stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. 
After this prayer, the meeting place shook, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they preached the word of God with boldness. Now, most of your Bibles will put a complete separate heading here and make this a complete separate section of Scripture. That's, that was improperly done. Okay? You know, that came hundreds and hundreds of years after the Bible was put together. right? Even verses and chapters and things like that came way after. But it, this shouldn't be a different heading because the sentence before it is the setup for the next sentence. Then they preached the word of God with boldness. All the believers, the ones that were being preached to and preaching, all the believers were united in heart and mind. And they felt that what they owned was not their own. So they shared everything they had. And I've seen some very solid community at different times in my history of going to church. I have seen some times when the church really rallies, rallies together and blesses people and does everything that, that needs to be done to help somebody. But I've never seen exactly what we're about to read here. Never. Not even actually close. He says they felt that what they owned was not their own, so they shared everything they had. The apostles testified, testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's great blessing was upon them all. There was no needy people among them, because why? Those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. I have never seen it at that level. Never. And here's the thing. That is, that is specifically mentioned as coming from them, Holy Spirit filling them. The Holy Spirit empowers them, and they begin to act different. This, this is one of the things for years. Now, I, I, I strongly believe in gifts of the Spirit and tongues and stuff like that. But this is one of the things for years that I that I've, haven't been able to reconcile, is the Pentecostal church has put so much emphasis on tongues and gifts, but we haven't put enough emphasis on acting like this. Right? The gifts of the Spirit are important, but the fruits are also important. When the Holy Spirit moves on us, we treat people right. We treat them good. They sold stuff. For instance, there was Joseph, the one, one of the apostles nicknamed Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. His nickname. He was known as the son of encouragement. He was from the tribe of Levi, came from the island of Cyprus. He sold a field he owned and brought the money to the apostles. His nickname was son of encouragement. So I've tried to internalize this and process this over the years. If I had a nickname in the church that I knew about, I'm not saying I don't have nicknames you've come up with, just don't tell me what they are. But what would it be? Because I know <clears throat> son of encouragement's not going to be in the top, say, two or 20. It's probably not going to be in the top 20. Son of encouragement. That's not how I'm perceived. But what would your nickname be? Th think about this. How, how does the body of Christ, the community, the local church, right now Church of Bergen, how do they see you? Are you an edifier? Are you a helper? Are you this kind of stuff? Now, I will say this, because my, my, um, my staff gives me a hard time about this sometimes, that that uh, the person that I am perceived to be and the person who I really am oftentimes is not the same guy. I, and I'm going to say this once. I don't go down this road very often. I'm going to say this once because it's not who I am. I don't like to say it, but I love all of you deeply. Thank you. Thank you. 
Now, I'm more of a I'm more of a hard love kind of person. But here's the thing: I really do. And here's and and, and the, you that know me well, you know that's true. But here's the thing: here's my goal. I want you to know Jesus as your savior. That that defines me for you more than anything else. I want you to know Jesus. I want you to grow in Jesus. I want you to know him deeply and have a relationship with him deeply. Even if you never have a relationship with me, I want you to have a deep relationship with Jesus. Okay, that, that really does drive me. That is, that is the push. I, I would not be confused with a son of encouragement for the most part, but, but that's who I am. I really want people to know Jesus. Because why? That's your only hope. That's it. It's your only hope. Because that's it. You know the best way that you get to know Jesus? Is you get to know his people. You get to know his people. You get to know his word. And you walk the two together. And it's amazing what Jesus can do in that. The third thing is that community is a command and a choice. Even though it's a command, it's also a choice. And that's, that's important in the process. 1 John chapter 3, verse 11. This is the message you have heard from the beginning. You should love one another. We must not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and killed his brother. Why did he kill him? Because Cain had been doing what was evil, and his brother had been doing what was righteous, and it drove Cain crazy. And then he says, so don't be surprised, dear brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. Now, I want to uh, qualify this a little bit, because I don't think in a general sense the world is going to hate Christians. I think the people that are plugged into what, what uh, John 1 talks about, the darkness, that there is a small percentage of people in our society today that truly are evil, truly are dark, truly are guided by Satan. And, and now, when I say small percentage, that's a lot of people when you're looking at percentages. Um, even 1% of America is a lot, right? But the, it's a small percentage of people that really do have this, this... You know, I'll take just the subject of abortion. I don't think that most people that are on the, the mentality, the liberal side of abortion is okay. I don't think most of those people have thought it through, processed it, and understand the gravity of what's happening. They have been taught since they were children in school that that's just a mass of tissue. And one of the ways that I know that is in millennials, it, the statistic of people that believe that abortion is wrong is on the rise. And in Gen Z... You guys are Z. In Gen Z, it is, it's escalating like crazy the percentage of young people that believe that abortion is wrong. Do you know why? Because their parents, my, my parents' generation didn't see it as an issue because it wasn't an issue. And then all of a sudden it gets voted in and we're having to deal with it, but nobody knew what to do with it. Since then, my generation and a little bit younger, because Gen Z is like my youngest is out of leaving kind of the head of Gen Z. But the, 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 the parents are starting to say this is not okay. And so now all of a sudden the worldview is changing on abortion. That's why I believe that most people are not adamantly for murdering babies. They just have been caught up in the machine for so long, they don't know what to do, and this is, this is socially acceptable to say this. And we're seeing it change. Praise God, we're seeing it change. So, so there's a small percentage of people that are going to hate you for serving Jesus. Most people will not, I don't believe. But there are a percentage of people that will. And they will be, they will be driven crazy by the fact that you love Jesus and Jesus has a plan for you and, and all that stuff. Okay, 
If we love our brothers and sisters who are believers, it proves that we have passed from death to life. But a person who has no love is still dead. This is pretty strong stuff, guys. You can't get around it. Anyone who hates another brother or sister is really a murderer at heart. And you know that murderers don't have eternal life within them. We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. He came, he came to this earth and put on human flesh so we could see a literal representation of love in human flesh toward other human beings. He says, if someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? I, I, we know that intuitively. We don't always practice it. God, God really convicted me a couple weeks ago. I, anytime anytime um, I see somebody on the side of the road, I always stop and help them. Because I'm a mechanic. And, uh, and so I stop and help them. It's usually changing a tire, which is within my mechanical means. <laughs> and so I, 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 it's just an opportunity to talk to somebody, maybe witness to them, pray for them. So I always stop. The other day, I was tired. I was on my way home, and I see this person stopped on the side of the road. They were actually kind of over by my house. But I didn't stop. And I came up with all the reasons in my head why I didn't need to. I didn't need to. And the only thing I was going to do was go home and sit. I literally had nothing on the agenda except tales of Wells Fargo. That was it. You, some of you guys don't have a clue what I just said there. <laughs> and God really convicted me of that for a long time because I held out for a long time. And I never did go back and help him. That's the end of the story. But that's kind of what I do, and I didn't even do that. Right? That's my thing, and I didn't even do that. And then I put this message together, and the Lord's like, I want you to read that part specifically, Scott. <laughs> we, we know that people need stuff, but... You know, we have, we have people come in here all the time to the church. We had a homeless guy come in this last week. He's not totally homeless, but sort of. And um, our policy around here is we help them. Now, here's the thing. Most of the people that come in this building and ask for help are lying to you. They're lying. We know that. But that's okay. Our policy is we're going to help them. We're going to give them food. We're going to fill up their tank with gas. We're going to do something. We're going to help people. And we've, we do a lot of stuff. I don't want to advertise. I don't want you guys coming in and asking. For help. <laughs> but we do a lot of stuff. And here's our policy. We're just going to help them. We're going to figure out a way to help them. Knowing that they're lying to I could tell you stories of stuff, of, of people that have lied and come up with that. You, you would say that really didn't happen. Crazy stuff over the years. But our policy is we're going to help them. Why? It's kind of what we're supposed to do. Right? He says, dear children, let's not merely say we love each other. Let's actually show the truth by our actions. Your actions is what is who you are, not what your words say. Our actions will show that we belong to the truth, so we'll be confident when we stand before God. Even if we feel guilty, God is greater than our feelings. He knows everything. Dear friends, if we don't feel guilt, if we don't feel guilty, we can come in, in to God with bold confidence, and we will receive from Him whatever we ask because we obey Him and do the things that please Him. And this is His commandment. We must believe in the name of the Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another. Jesus said that's the two greatest commandments. Those who obey God's commandments remain in fellowship, and he with them, and, he, and we know he lives in us because the Spirit because he gave, the Spirit he gave lives in us. Now, I want to, Hebrews chapter 10, I've got to hurry because 
You guys have been talking too much. So <laughs> Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. This is the, 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 the um, um, holy of holies has been destroyed. There's no reason for the holy of holies because we can now go straight into the throne room of God. Right? This idea that we're trying to get to the Holy of Holies is not a, a healthy biblical mindset. Okay? We're trying to get to the, into the throne room of God with God. And so that's what this is all about. We're getting to the throne room of God. Um, the last part of verse 11, for our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean, and our, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promises. This is the fact that our salvation is secure in him. Not, not unconditionally, it is dependent upon our heart and going into the Holy of Holies. But our, our salvation is secure in him. And then this is what the next sentence says. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of good love and good works. To love and good works. So, so in the presence of God, going to the Holy of Holies, <clears throat> should elicit from us love and inspiring people for good works. The closer we get to God, <clears throat> the more we should care about people. The closer we get to God, the more we should care about souls, humans. Because why? That's what he cares about. <clears throat> Let us hold... <clears throat> sorry, verse 26... Dear friends, if we continue sinning, if we deliberately continue sinning after we have received the knowledge of truth, there is no longer any sacrifice that covers these sins. He says that we're not to neglect meeting together, provoking love and good works. And then he says, if you continue sinning willfully, there's no longer salvation. Now that destroys unconditional eternal security just by that sentence. And there's a lot of those in scripture. But look at what the importance of this is. He says, get into my presence. It's going to provoke love to each other and then get together. Don't neglect getting together. But if you keep on sinning willfully, I'm not going to forgive you. It is directly tied to whether we are getting together with other people, loving each other, provoking good works, and, and getting into the throne room of God. He is directly connecting whether you go to church as whether you have an attitude of pursuing God or an attitude of sin. I'm not making that up. He said that. It's the next Sentence, Ecclesiastes 4, <clears throat> community is also the only way that we truly stay alive. And, and this is the part that I think Satan understands more than the church. Because he is attacking it and the church is letting him do it. Verse 7, I observed yet another example of something meaningless under the sun. That's just Solomon's way of being negative. So, but he says this meaningless other son, what is it? It's the case of a man who is all alone without a child or brother, yet who works hard to gain as much wealth as he can. But then he asks himself, what, who am I look, working for? Why am I giving up so much pleasure now? It's also meaningless and depressing. And then Solomon explains, verse 9, two people are better than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person fails, the other can reach out and help, but someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm. But how can one be warm alone? When Lynn and I first got married, I convinced her that the best way to stay warm at night is with no clothes on. Because that's, that's true, though, isn't it? Am I right? It's true. It's true. And it worked for a few years. 
A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back. Guys, we need more back to back. Right in this room, we need more back to back. You need it and I need it. Three are even better for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. Why don't you stand with me? I need community. You need community. Now, I've been harping on us for a long time around here. Get some accountability relationships. Get some prayer partners. Get some people in your life. But at the very least, be at church. You need people. And you know I don't normally say that stuff. I don't normally pick on you got to be at church all the time. But guys, he says it there that, that we should not neglect getting together even more importantly today because it's the last days. He just said that. It is the, it's quickly approaching his day of return. And so getting together is going to be more and more and more important as we move forward toward all the stuff that Satan is trying to, to do. You need this, I need this. So we've got to really say, okay, God, then I need your help. I need community. What does that look like? Assess your community right now. Assess your, your safety net. Who are the people in your life that you minister to? And who are the people in your life that minister to you? Who are the people in your life that can be totally honest with you and, and really deal with issues in your life? Do you have those people? Most Christians don't. You need somebody to be able to say to you, this is right, this is wrong. I've noticed this. It needs to be different. And that doesn't just happen. You can't just wait for that person to come into your life. You've got to be intentional and go look for it. You've got to interview people, hang out with them some, get to know them, see if they're somebody you, that could be this person in your life. Okay? We need some community. Lord, we, we submit ourselves to you. We submit our minds, our lives, our hearts to you. Lord, we submit our, our, our physicalness, our body, our uh, schedules, our daily routine. We submit those things to you. Lord, we need, to, we need to start seeing our time and energy and resources to, to, to be used in community. God, and I pray for anybody in this room that does not have a, a close prayer partner, a close connecting person in their life, community, real community. Lord, convict them right now and do not let them leave this place without establishing some of these relationships, making the commitment to establish them. Lord, I need them, they need me, and we all need you. So Lord, help us with this. Help us to see the importance of getting together and worshiping together. Help us to see the importance of caring about other people, committing to other people. In the name of Jesus. How do we need this? Lord, I pray that we would learn to dwell together, live together in unity interact together in harmony. Lord, not, not on the same page. We know that's not possible. But Lord, that, that the foundation, the scriptural foundation is the same for us all. We stand with that. Lord, and I pray that we would, that we would have some of these relationships. We would have some of these, these necessary ingredients in our spiritual world. Lord, I want to be a healthy part of community. I want to be a healthy part 
of the body of Christ. If that's your heart too, just raise your hand and tell him, Lord, I want to be a healthy part of community. I want to be a healthy part of this body. Church of Briargate body, but then the larger context of Christianity. I want to be a healthy part of this community right here, and I want to be a healthy part of this community across the other side of the planet. Lord, I want to belong to you. I want to be part of this, this kingdom that you're building. In the name of Jesus. So Lord, I ask you all across this room, convict us. Holy Spirit, convict us. For when we come up with reasons why we don't need accountability partners and prayer partners, why we don't need to be a part of a group, God, convict us because it's hurting us. In the name of Jesus. Jesus' name. So here's an exercise. Try this, maybe. There are people in this room that you could spend more time with. You actually like them. Try it. Invite them over for dinner. You say, I, I don't want their kids in my house. Go to McDonald's. I get it. Invite somebody for coffee. Do something. Do something outside of this. Maybe a coworker that you really know, God's put them on your heart. Invite them. Invite them to your house. Do something. Build community. God will honor it. He will, he will make it bigger than it is, than, your possible, than you have the ability to make it. So before noon tomorrow, God's going to give you a chance to let somebody know Jesus loves them. You might even invite them for coffee. And uh, God will honor that in your life. It's a guarantee. So shake somebody's hand. Tell them how glad you are that they are here today. And we will see you Wednesday night. Have a great rest of your afternoon.